This is one of those Sundays which is kind of an unusual Sunday, not that in California it doesn't normally rain and we've had a rainy weekend, but also this is the Sunday in which we change our what? Clocks. And so it's called daylight saving time. Someone told me between the services it's not technically daylight savings time, it's daylight saving time. But this is one of those Sundays, particularly since they do it over um, a period of time where it impacts Sunday, it's always one of those fearful times where are people going to forget to do it and then not show up on Sunday because they had to put their hour, they were supposed to put their clocks an hour ahead and they forget to do that and all of a sudden everything's moved back an hour and they miss what supposedly should be the most important time in all their week to come together and, and worship God in a public way. And as I was thinking about that, not only is it one of those Sundays that sometimes you say, I'd just rather delegate this to some other preacher because I don't want anybody not showing up when I preach. Um, but I was also looking at, not only is it a dangerous time for pastors or preachers because people might not come, but it's also a time in which I read this week that it's, um, it's literally the experience of daylight saving time is killing us. This is what Hillary Bruick of technology insider writes. He says, the interruption, she says, the interruption to our internal clocks literally kills us. Incidents of heart attacks, strokes, and fatal car accidents all spike higher around the start of daylight saving time each year. And then she alludes to certain statistics that seem to support her uh, supposition on that. Hospitals report a 24% spike in heart attacks around the country on Monday. So if you ever were fearful that you might have a heart attack, it's likely it's going to happen tomorrow. Just want to let you know. Okay. <laughs> also, in, in case you don't think uh, that side of it is convincing enough, they have some, done some studies in the fall where we get to set the clocks, what? Back, so you get an extra hour of sleep. Uh, they say that uh, heart attacks, when they, 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 challenge, they look at the statistics as it relates to Monday, which, by the way, in case you're worried, today you're safe because you probably won't get killed on Sunday. It's the day after Sunday in which you're going to get killed. But in the fall, they say 21% less heart attacks occur on the Monday after you get an extra hour of sleep. They've also done some studies where they say on Mondays during daylight saving time when you lost an hour that... Uh, there are 30 more people across the country who die in car accidents. Uh, also, research shows that there, people have more injuries at work, so just don't go to work tomorrow. Okay, uh, more strokes, a temporary bump in suicides as a result of daylight savings time. In other words, basically, people aren't ready for turning the clocks ahead. Of course, I might surmise or you know, possibly propose a, a, a very simple solution to the problem of setting your clocks an hour ahead, if you don't want to lose the hour, simply go to bed, what, an hour earlier. Do you think that would work? If you just went to bed an hour earlier, I don't think you're going to lose anything. But anyway, there, there are people who are extremely fearful that, that people are going to have strokes, they're going to have accidents in, the, in their cars, they're going to have a heart attack, and somehow something dangerous might happen to you, not today, but tomorrow. But I would say, you know, uh, in fact, actually, after I read that article, I read another article which had the exact opposite, all the things you gain from daylight savings time, how it's so much better for you that we, we push the clocks ahead an hour. Now, I'll just give you two of them. One, will, we possibly might allude later on in the, in the passage, but one is, is that as you get an hour extra, and I know all of you are really interested in this, some people actually exercise a little bit more. 
because they, they like to exercise at night, and so it's lighter, longer, so you get a little bit more workout time. Anybody signing up? Okay. The other thing is that, oh, and this is the other one, which sounds you know, pretty logical, is that there is less crime during the daylight savings periods because it's lighter, and people usually do things in the what? dark that are illegal. So anyway, whether you want to be encouraged because we set the clocks ahead or discouraged, there's plenty of data out there. But, but what I would say to you, whatever's coming, it, what, what, what we all need to do is simply be prepared for it, right? We need to be ready what might come next. And, and really, that's what Jesus has for us. Um, actually, I, I quoted the statistic a little bit wrong, but, but in, the, in the first verse, is that, that Jesus, as he came the first time, and how he was going to come the first time was somewhat of a mystery in the Old Testament. They were kind of surprised how he showed up. They weren't expecting him in a, in a, in a cradle in Bethlehem, you know, in a, in a very impoverished, uneventful way other than the people came to see him and the star and that kind of stuff. But they thought he might be in a palace and he was in a, in a barn or, or a cave. Uh, but they were surprised by that. They thought he was coming as a conquering king. And just like there's some surprises about how he came the first time, there are surprises to some people how he's going to come the second time. Now, I tried to explain some of the mystery as I understand it, but the, the big thing we do know is that Jesus is coming again. And I think if you understand it correctly, what you need to realize is he could come at any moment. The challenge for us as being prepared is that what's coming next might happen immediately. Because if you always think that the dangerous is going to happen something far, far, far away from now, you're not that worried about it. But if you thought there was an earthquake tomorrow, you'd probably do some, some things, what, today. And what Jesus wants us to do, he wants us to live in such a way that we, we live in light of his anytime return, at least the stages of how he's going to return as he's promised to come. And what I misquote a little bit in some of the statistics is that in 260 chapters in the New Testament, I shared with you last week this, that it's, the coming of Jesus is announced by Jesus or his writers. I'm coming again in 260 chapters. In those 260 chapters, it is said 318 times, which means in some of those chapters, he said it more than once. You are, at least Betsy's really with me right now, okay? Is that if it was 260 times, 318 times in those 260 chapters, he said it more than once in a particular chapter. And if you break it down, it's one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament. So if Jesus said it once, that's enough. If he said it twice, you know it's going to be on the test. If he said it 318 times, you better be prepared, and I better be prepared. Would we say amen to that? Amen. So what I want to talk to you about today is, is be prepared. And we, we implied that in last Lord's Day's message, but we're going to now go into the section in which Jesus actually did that in detail. And I, I want to, you know, re-preach it as a, a little slightly different than I did in the first service again this week uh, in this service, because I want you to get the passage as well as other passages as well. But in, in the midst of some of the detail I'm going to give you, some of the specifics, and I'm starting to speak faster than my tongue will allow me to speak, okay, is the message pretty simple. Be prepared, and be prepared for what and how should you be prepared. And what you ought to be prepared for is, first of all, the future, and then secondly, and this is common to everybody, you ought to be prepared for the good and the bad, particularly as it relates to the future. Be prepared for the future and be prepared for the good and the bad that will happen in the future. And then you ask the question, well, how should I be prepared if I'm prepared? Well, this is what Jesus said. Luke chapter 12, and I want to read, since we're breaking this somewhat in halves, I want to read the section and then go back and 
dissect the section a little bit. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. And the New American Standard begins this way. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. So he's telling us the how. You got to be dressed. And, you know, I joked a little bit last week. All of you have done really well coming today to this worship service because you're all what? You're all dressed. I'm so glad you are. Okay. He said, be dressed. But the thing I need to emphasize here because I'm going to make a point out of it as you look at translations of the Bible, and I really like the New American Standard translation, but for the first 10 years I was here, I, I did the New King James for a variety of reasons. And in this particular case, and also in the Old King James, it's a little bit more helpful to see the kind of the nuancing of the text. In the New King James, I think it says, be girded from your waist. Now, for most of you, go, what in the world do you mean be girded by your waist? Now, some of you might, does he mean put on a girdle? You know, and for us guys, we're going, what are you talking is this Does this apply to us? Well, well, I'm going to talk about that in a, mo- in a moment. But when he says be dressed, comment, uh, translations that talk about, you know, put on your clothes, you know, for what's going to happen next, which is the idea. But it has a little bit more nuancing if you understand the idea of gird yourself up. And we'll talk about that. But then he goes on and says, be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. So Jesus, and we're going to go back through this, he's saying, okay, I want you to be ready, and I want to tell you a story. Jesus liked to tell stories. He says, I want to tell you a story about a wedding feast. And the wedding feast is that the wedding's been going on, but it's a, it's a pretty big wedding, it's pretty elaborate, and you don't know how long it's going to last. Have you ever been to parties like that? You know, when does it begin, and when does it end? And you go in there, I'm enjoying it, but I'm not sure when it's in. And then, then if you're on the other side of that, of that celebration, and they're going to come over to your house when that party's over. Have you ever had experiences like that? You know, maybe at Christmas. They go to some, some part of the family for Christmas, the first part, and they're supposed to come over to your house the next part of Christmas. Anybody can relate to that? Or Thanksgiving or whatever right then. And maybe if you don't do it just on the day, it might be the day after Christmas or the day after Thanksgiving. That's your Thanksgiving. I'm starting to talk really fast again. Okay. And you're thinking, okay, when, it, when is it coming to my house, right? Can anybody relate to this? And you're thinking, well, when is this happening? And so he tells a story like this. The wedding's been going on. You don't know how long it's going to go on. I'm coming back to, to our house where you are at, and you are to be prepared, but you don't know exactly when I'm coming. Now, that's kind of a frustrating experience. I gotta have, the house has got to be all ready. The food's got to be all ready. I've got to be ready, but I don't know when you're coming. But I better be ready, so you need to be ready, what? All the time. Is that right? Does that make sense? So he, he tells that story. Uh, blessed are you, verse 37, are those who slays when the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them, which is a whole sermon on itself. Because when the master comes, you're thinking, I'm going to serve him. He said, you know, when I get there and you're ready for me, I'm going to start serving you. Whoa, that's an amazing thought. Verse 38, when he comes in the second watch or even in the third and stands and finds him, so blessed are those slaves. We could spend a lot of time here, but I'm just going to give you a running commentary and then go back. He said, when this happens and you're ready for me, this is going to be awesome for you because you've done exactly what you were supposed to do. You, You had things prepared and you were prepared for me to come and it's going to be awesome for you if you do that. Now, I'm going to tell you, you don't know what time. And he says the second and third watch. And I'm We just changed, and I'm still working on this watch because I thought it was electronic. It's not. I'm going to have to do all those buttons to get it fixed, okay? Is that 
It could come, I could come at 9 o'clock. I could come at 10 o'clock at night. I could come at 11 o'clock at night. I could come at midnight. I could come at 1 in the morning. I could come at 2 in the morning. I want to come at 3 in the morning. Now, I don't know when you normally sleep if you're not on, on shift work. But wait a minute. I, I prefer you come at 9, okay? Maybe 10, but I don't want to be awake at 1 or 2 or 3 in the morning. But if it's important enough, you'd be what? Awake, right? If I could tell you Jesus is coming to your house in the next 12 hours, would you worry about what time it was? Right? So I look at, you don't know, so be ready all the time. Verse 39. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You two be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Now he changes the story a little bit. Okay, let's forget for a moment about the wedding feast. This is talk about your own house. Now, if, if, if you know someone was going to break in, you would do whatever you could that if they try to break in, they couldn't, right? And so I just tell you, be ready, be prepared. Make sure that no one's going to take your stuff because you've made readiness for that. If it happens, you're prepared. So that's the story. So that, that, that's the story, as he said. And we're going to find out later that Peter goes, are you talking to me? Are you talking to somebody else? Because he's, he's confused here. But we're not going to be confused because we're going to look through this passage and see what Jesus is saying. All right? Well, what was he saying? He, he, was, he was saying, be prepared for the future. And that's pretty clear. But then he, he talks us how. And he tells us how by some very simple word pictures. He says, be dressed. Now, um, that's what I told you before, that when he says be dressed, he says, gird yourself. And, and really what he's talking about, if you are dressed, you've got to be, be dressed, prepared to do something, Right? Now, if you're, if you're supposed to come to the work day on Saturday, if you can, don't be dressed in a tux, right? Because that's probably not the best time. If you're going to do any labor, you don't, if, you're, if you have a, a, your best wedi- uh, uh, dress, you, you don't, don't come to work, at work day with your best on, right? Because you're not prepared to work. He said, I want you to be dressed, prepared to work. And that's why he says, I want you to gird your, your loins or I want you to gird yourself uh, from the waist, and so he was saying, because some of them, they were always dressed because they didn't have anything else to wear. What they wore during the day is what they wore at night, some of them. But he's saying, I want you to be dressed to do something. And they were, the men were, like, basically wore dresses. They wore robes. And so if you're going to be moving around, you're going to have to take the stuff that's touching the floor and tie it up to your waist so you can move. He said, that's how I want you to be ready for for me, if I come back from the wedding feast, or the wedding celebration, and come back to celebrate with you, I want you to be ready so you're, you're ready for action. Does that make sense? Because if, if, you've, ever, if you've ever tried to, some of you ladies have, you know, if you go upstairs with a long dress, you've got to pull something up or you're going to trip yourself, right? Shake your head like I know what I'm talking about, okay, right? You know, and if, if you've ever been in a choir and had a choir robe on, you're going to have to be careful how you go down the steps or up the steps because you could trip yourself, right? Anybody ever done that? Okay. So, so he's saying, look, I, I want you to gird your loins or I want you to gird up to the waist. Then he says, I want you to be dressed for action. Now, what kind of action? And this is where I'm going to take this analogy of girding yourself up. And this is how it's literally translated in these passages. Uh, what is it to be dressed for... for preparation for Jesus' return at any moment. Number one, be prepared to run for what God wants you to do next. Where do I get that? 1 Kings 18, 46, and we'll race through this pretty fast. 
This is the experience of Elijah. Elijah had just done the amazing. He had, he had conquered the prophets of Baal, all that kind of stuff, brought down fire. God did through his hand. And then, then uh, it was all over. But then God had something else for him to do. He was to get to, to, uh, to the place where Ahab was going before Ahab got there. And it says this, Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, which simply means he took his clothes and, and tied them up into the, his belt or waist so that he could move. And it says this, and Ahab was on, in a, um, they didn't drive cars there, they had chariots, right? Okay, they had chariots, and he's girded up his loin, and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now, I only picked this out for this purpose. When he's talking about be dressed because I'm coming again, be, be dressed to, to always be prepared to do what God wants you to do and, and do it now, right? God, we only have today. Tomorrow, we don't know we're going to have tomorrow, but we have today, so whatever God wants you to do today, do what? Today. And Ahab, I mean, Elijah ran with his his. His clothes girded up so he could do exactly what God wanted him to do at that moment. And sometimes what we do, we kind of wait too long to do what God wants us to do. Secondly, be prepared to speak for God. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17. Now gird up your loins. Same idea. Dress up, all right? Be prepared for, for, to do something. Well, what was it? It wasn't to, to run to your next assignment, but it was this. Gird up your loins and rise and speak to them all which I command you. So there the idea, if, if we're prepared for Jesus to come, we're running to what God wants us to do today. And then secondly, we are also, we are ready to speak at any moment. He, he tells Jeremiah, gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all that, I, all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. Sometimes we don't speak because we're afraid what other people are thinking when we speak, right? We're, we're con- overly concerned about that. So no, just, just say what I tell you to say. And if you know anything about Jeremiah, did they receive what he had to say very well? Nope. Man, I don't want that assignment. I mean, I, I mean, there are enough times where I'm talking, I know people aren't listening, but to think well, I'm talking, no one's ever listening, that, that would be a pretty hard assignment. But we're just called to be faithful. So that's a whole other sermon there as well. Okay. Be prepared to run for what God wants you to do next if you're dressed for what God wants you to do. And then be prepared mentally for action and hope-filled living. In 1 Peter 1.13, it says this, Therefore, and if you were in the King James uh, translation or New King James, gird up your loins for action. And what he's really saying there, mentally get ready for what I want you to do. Keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he simply said, you know, what it means to be dressed or to, or to take what, what you're wearing and prepare yourself for movement is one, the movement to do what your next assignment is. That's what Elijah had. Number one, like Jeremiah, that you're, you're ready to speak for me. And then thirdly, you, you've girded up your mind, your heart for a life filled with hope and grace. Because if, 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 if you're not filled with a, the confident expectation that Jesus is coming again, you're, you're not going to do what God wants you to do, right? And that's what he says there. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation. You could translate that meaning-wise at the coming of Jesus Christ. And in any day of our life, we're either people filled with hope or filled not with hope, right? You know, how are you doing today? Uh, I've got a lot of hope for today. Uh, I don't have a lot of hope for today, right? And he says, no, gird up your life with hope. 
And we don't know when he's coming, but he's coming, and then a hope will be fully realized. You know, we're, all, we're only in part of the game, but, you know, the, the game's not over yet. And in the end, we what? We win, right? It doesn't matter if we, if we feel we're losing now, but we're going to win. I'm filled with hope because I, I know I'm on the winning side. Even though we're 10 runs behind, we're going to win, right? So number one, be prepared for the future. How? By being properly dressed, which is girded for action and speaking and being filled with hope. Secondly, he says in that same, that very first verse, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. I didn't talk enough about that in the first service too, but basically, you know how they didn't have flashlights, they didn't have electricity, but they had little lamps and they had to put oil in it, right? Now, it had to kind of trim the wick, which I have no idea what that really means. I mean, you clip it off to the point where it works better. I mean, I've played around a little bit with candles. Some of you guys are moving on to the next point. I haven't finished yet. Okay, no. You know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to clip, clip, clip the, the candle a little bit, and you're supposed to have enough oil, because you don't want it to get dark when you need light, correct? And I think we've all been in situations where, where you, you know, we haven't, cha- we haven't changed the light bulbs, which is even worse that we don't have any extra light bulbs in the house, and so we, we can't turn the light on because we can't change the light bulb, right? And so we're living in the dark when we should be living in the light. Or what's happened to me, oftentimes, we could do a lot of camp. I'm starting to speak a lot of fa- fast again. Okay, there have been times where we have spent a lot of time camping. And I haven't replaced the, light, the, the batteries in my flashlight. And so when I want to use it in the middle of the night, when I'm, you know, I turn on the, 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 my flashlight and it won't go on. Or at least won't demonstrate light because I haven't replaced the batteries. And so I'm not prepared for what needs to be done next. And he said, look it, you are people of the light not the darkness. But your responsibility is keep your, your, your lights lit, the lamp on. Be prepared to do things in the light. I'm not going to turn the passage, but in Romans chapter 11, 13, 11 through 14, he, he talks about this. So look at your people the day, not the night. Don't be asleep. Be awake and, and live your life like you're in the light. And when you do that, your life will be so much different, isn't it? Because even as God's people... If no one's looking, are there some things we might do that we shouldn't do? Yeah, sometimes. Are there some things we might not do we should do? Yeah, because, you know, no one else is looking. I, I, it'll be okay because, you know. But if we know people are looking, we might say, hey, there's, I ought to be living in ways that God wants me to live. Right? So how, do we, how should we be prepared for the future? Be dressed for it keep, by keeping the light on it. Now you can turn over. It says, also by being ready for the boss to return. And that's what I read earlier. Then you could say master. I, I just put the word boss there because, you know, we don't have too many. We don't usually refer to the people that are over us as, as masters. But the boss, and here the boss is coming from the wedding. He's coming back. You're supposed to throw a party for him because he just got married. And, and, and you're sleeping. But if you knew he was coming, you would live differently. And when he comes, in verses 36 through 38, I even said when he comes uh, at a time you're not aware, it could be the second watch, the third watch, it could be at 9 o'clock, it could be at 3 o'clock, whatever it might be. Um, I want you to be prepared to serve him, but you know what's going to happen? If you were ready to serve him, he's going to serve you. And when Jesus came the first time, Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, that, particularly that last verse is really familiar, but they said, if you want to be really great in God's kingdom, then, then be a servant. If you want to be first, then be last. And if that's not motivating you enough, that that will be God's reward for you. The Bible says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And, and that makes sense when he came the first time, but you know he's going to do that the second time. 
He's going to be a blessing to us. Now, we're going to realize he's way above us, and we often think in terms of value or essence based on where I am on the org chart. You know, what, what part of the, you know, my, where's my name compared to somebody else's name? Well, Jesus' name is the top, and he's going to be serving other people even when he comes. And blessed are you that you're, you're ready for the one you ought to be serving, that you're prepared to serve, and the blessing is you're going to be served. And then finally, by anticipating his return and living like it. In 39 through 40, again, then be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, because you don't know when he's coming. I, I want to read this passage from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. What does that really mean practically? That means we ought to be ready. He's going to come any time. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says this. But according to his promise, this is Jesus, we are, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we ought to have a forward-looking perspective. Jesus is coming again. Every day we wake up, we ought to look up. Okay, today, this, this, ought to be a day, this could be a day he's coming. If, that be, if we really believe that and thought that, and, and we believe it, we don't, often don't often think that. So it's kind of good to, um, um, part of your spiritual habit is look up. This could be the day he comes. And they says, well, therefore, if you do that, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. So I want to live a life that honors him. I want to be a, a life filled with his peace because I'm at peace with him and I want to experience his peace and I want to be a source of peace to others. I, I, I don't want to be in shame when he comes because I don't want to live for him. Does that make sense? So be prepared. Be dressed for it. Have your light on. Uh, be realizing the boss is returning. And usually, and the analogy there is when, when we're working and the boss is coming, we're, 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 which kind of changes our activity level, doesn't it? We kind of we ramp it up a little bit. And, and also, by the way, he says there, look, at, as you think about it, he could come at any moment. So live in light of that. Live a blameless life. And live a life of peace because in the midst of the war you're experiencing, he is the source of peace. Now, if you're kind of overwhelmed with all he said in such a short period of passage, you're in good, you're in good company because going back to Luke chapter 12, Jesus then, and then Peter asked that kind of interesting question. Peter said, verse 41, Lord, are you addressing this parable, this story to us or to everyone else as well? And that's what I said earlier, and Peter goes, are you speaking to me? You know, are you speaking to somebody else? What, what's, what's the audience here? And Jesus does what he often does. When you ask him a question, how does he respond? By asking you a question. Now, in his questions is the answer, but you have to be thinking while he gives you the question because it, he wants to make it very pointedly. And in, in case I don't make it clear, which that can happen very often, he says, basically, I'm talking to you and I'm also talking to them. I'm talking to both camps, the people who know me and the people who don't know me. I want to encourage you who know me, and I want to warn those who don't know me. As we talked about last Sunday, I want people to be happy about heaven and my return, and I want to scare the hell out of other people. I want them to see the horrors of what will happen if you are not walking and knowing me. And, and we're going to see Jesus use some pretty plain words here. So he, he speaks to What's going to happen, uh, not only in the future, but then he, he speaks to what's going to happen, the good and the bad. 
And you can look at that, this at both a temporal, in a temporal way as well as an eternal way. As you, look, as you be prepared for Monday, because 24% of you, are gonna, you know, possibly could have a heart attack tomorrow, right? You know, I don't think that will happen. But anyway, you know, that could happen, right? Because that's what some statistics say. You know, statistics don't lie, but people who use statistics do lie. But anyway, is that, you know, there are some things, anecdotal stuff, that, you know, when you lose, if you lose an hour of sleep or you aren't prepared for it, you could be a little bit not as steady at the wheel, and so you better be prepared that you're rested when you get behind a, uh, the wheel of a car. But he's saying, look, I want you to understand that you need to be prepared because good things will happen or bad things will happen. Isn't that true? Have you all, have you all experienced that? Experienced some good things in your life and also experienced some bad things? And, and, and people struggle with either one of those. People, you say, well, I'd rather, I'd rather wrestle with exper- uh, dealing with prosperity, right? <laughs> but some people, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. You know, people who've won the lottery, many people, that was the worst thing that ever happened to them. Their families were splintered, divorce, rampant jealousy, health was affected, even their safety was affected, their ability to handle all that they had been given, and it became the worst thing that ever happened to them, prosperity. And of course, the other side, some people have experienced grave adversities. The worst things happened to them. But whether you have prosperity or adversity, God said, look, you need to trust me. And ultimately, when you look at the end, there is only one really good thing and only one bad thing. The good thing is the happiness of heaven, and the bad thing is the horrors of hell. So he speaks, first of all, by asking questions, and now he, his analogy basically is, is, is the workplace or the place of master-slave, and, and either you're a, a good slave or a good employee of God's program, or you're one that are, maybe you look like you are, but you're really not. And the indicator is how much are you looking forward to the future. That's the background. Let's look at it. Verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward? So who is the one really prepared for the future, the good and the bad? Who is really ready? And he says, whom his master will put in charge of his servants, the the one that the master trusts him for his absence. And what does he do? He gives them their, this particular steward or master that the master gave responsibility to, to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed are, is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Now I, I take this simply this. He would say, look, I, I am talking to you and I'm also talking to them. And who is the one who's really dressed and ready for what's coming next and has their lights on and looking for their boss to return and anticipating his return? It, it's the person who's doing what I've asked them to do. Now, God gives us different assignments as his followers, but I, I would put it this way. How do you be prepared for the good and the bad? Number one, by knowing that those who believe and obey will be blessed. And I hope you caught that in, the, in those lines of verse that, that Jesus gave his disciples. Look at, I'm gone. I'm coming back again. Who is the wise and sensible one? The one who I've given responsibility and with the people that he's with, he gives them what they need when they need it and he serves them, those are the ones who, who are faithful to their assignments, I'm going to be come back, and I'm going to give you more than what they already have because they've been faithful. They've believed 
that I'm coming again. They've obeyed what I've told them to do, and they are now blessed. If you, you have more later than you have now because God's hand has given you his favor, then you know that you've been blessed by God. And he's talking about not here temporally, but eternally. That's the good news. I want to be prepared for that by, by, by following my assignment that he's given me. But then he goes on, and this is, this is the scary words out of the mouth of Jesus. Verse 45, but. You know, in conversation with people, that's often a kind of alarming thing. You know, someone says something, they go, but. Okay, what's the but? All right, anybody had that? People are calling, and you're thinking they're going down one side, and all of a sudden, but. This is what Jesus does here. But. If that slave says in his heart, my master will, not, will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that slave will come in on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. And listen to this. And will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Whoa. You just turned the heat up here a little bit, right? What happened to meek and mild Jesus? He said, look at Look, I'm going to come and some are going to be faithful what they're doing. I'm going to bless them more. They're going to get more than they have now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good news story, right? Uh, but they're going to those who look like they believe me, but they don't really believe me because they're not looking for me to return. In fact, they're not even sure I am going to return because it's been so long. And, and so they're just doing their own thing. And you listen, what, what do they do when they do their own thing? Well, I, uh, you know, I'm out there, I'm getting drunk. I'm doing whatever I want to do that pleases me. Uh, and I, I don't really ever expect Jesus to come because he hasn't come in the past. If he hasn't come in the past, then he's not going to come in the future. You know, past performances are not, you know, do not predict future performances. I mean, he's saying, I, I don't think he's coming. So I'm going to live however I want. And he says, you know, these people are posers. You know what a poser is? The first time I heard that was my, uh, my youngest son is a pretty good surfer and when he surfs out there, and when he, the difference between when he surfs and I surf, when he surfs, he catch, catches waves. You know, when I surf, I occasionally catch a wave, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm swallowing water, all right? And so sometimes you get out there and, and, you know, you're out there and you're dressed the part, you've got the board, everything like that, and you're kind of just hanging out there and, and everybody else is catching the waves, you're just out there, right? And that can happen with ch- church people, you know, I'm, I look the part, but I'm really not the part, right? I'm, I'm just a poser. I was saying the first service, you know, when my car breaks down, I get out and I, I lift the hood, right? And I look at it. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing, right? I don't know how to fix it, but I want to look the part. And, and so he says, well, okay, who's the real part? The person who's expecting you to be returning and living like it. And if they're not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut them in pieces, and I'm going to treat them just like an unbeliever because you know what? They are an unbeliever. And the point is that every believer ought to be looking for Jesus' return. That's one of the marks of being a believer. If you're not, if you're not looking for Jesus' return, and let's be honest, do I, look, do I remember every day to look for Jesus' return? No. But if, if, in my life, that's my goal. And if in my life I'm not looking for his return, there's a question mark about do I really know him? That sounds like to me from Jesus. He's saying, look, this person never thinks about my return. Doubts maybe that I am even going to return, lives like he wants. When I come, I'm going to treat him like an unbeliever. And implied to that is because he is an unbeliever. And if you think that got tough, look, look, listen on what he says after that. 
Verse 47, and that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act according to his will will receive many lashes. What is he saying here? He's, he's talking about the horrors of hell. And when we talked about the horrors of hell, there, it appears to me there's degrees of punishment in hell. Th- those who know better ought to what? Live better. And, and really, you could put it this way, those who know better ought to believe better. It, it's one thing to acknowledge that people who have heard less than others, you, you could say, I can understand why. You know, they're not at that point where they've committed their lives to Christ, but people who've heard over and over and over and over again, and they give lip service to it, but they don't really believe it, you, you throw up your hands and say, I, I don't get this. People who, who say they believe and never live it, never live it, never live it, you go, I, I don't understand this. And what Jesus says here, that, that this, this is a dangerous place to be. You need to be prepared for the good and the bad. And he was, he was speaking to the crowd here. It goes on in the summary statement, verse 48, but the, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. In other words, they didn't know a whole lot, but you know, their, their punishment is going to be less than those who knew more. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. In many ways, you could say that would be true of most Americans. You know, we have more access to the gospel than any other country probably in the world, right? Would we agree with that? There might be some places similar to us, but I, I don't even know if that's true. And those who have heard it more and rejected, there's going to be more punishment. And we can see that on a human level. When we've told somebody over and over and over got something and they don't respond, it just... We just kind of understand that. If someone just heard it one time, maybe they didn't quite get it, you know, and so we, we go back to them. But when they hear it over and over time and reject it, it could be in your home with your kids or it could be someone you're coaching or teaching or whatever it might be, and they're just almost refusing to get it because then after a while you realize they don't want to get it. Isn't that true? Have you come to the point? You know, don't, don't confuse me with the facts. I've already made up my what? My mind. So what's the point this morning? The point is pretty straightforward. God wants us to be prepared. Not for losing an hour of sleep one night a week. I mean, one night a year. Or You know, if that's your thing, then take an extra nap today, all right? You're prepared for Monday. Okay. And I'm not making light. Sleep is important. But what Jesus, and this, this analogy is often, don't be asleep on spiritual things here. Be people of the day, not of the night. Wake up. Be prepared. And for it is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's simple to say, look for his return. And looking for his return, say, I want to be about what he wants me to be about until he comes. I want to fulfill my assignment. We don't all have the same assignment. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't have the same talents. We don't have the same places in our life where God wants us to serve, but we are all called to serve. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We're all called to be ministers, right? We're all, all called to be missionaries. We've got people in our relational world that need to know Jesus. We're all called to be ministers and missionaries as well as all in and part of a local expression of God's church. We ought to be members, formally or informally. I'm not even preaching on that. I'm just talking about we ought to be all in on those three things. And we will be if we're looking for his return because that's what God wants, Right? And on the other hand, if, if, 
if we've gone through all the hoops and, and yet it's all been superficial, I say, look, look, don't, don't play games with God. I like playing games. And I really like playing games to win, okay? But if you play games in the, in the anecdotal way I'm talking about here, you're never going to win the game with God, right? Because you're, you're not going to fool God. That's what I'm talking about. You're not going to fool God. And so God is telling you, be prepared. If you don't know him this morning, you know, the ABCs of the gospel, admit your need and, and turn from that which separates you from God, which is the things that you've done are wrong. But the Bible calls that sin. Just turn from that. Admit you need Jesus. Not that you just simply want, you need Jesus. B, believe. Believe that Jesus came to rescue you. That's what being a savior is. He came to rescue you from your sin, the penalty of your sin. He died and rose again on your behalf. And then get off the fence. Commit. Commit to follow Jesus as your leader, as your forgiver, as your Lord and your Savior. Receive the free gift. It's not something you do, it's something you receive. But commit yourself to him. And if you've already made that commitment, then, then be what God wants you to be and for me to be. Get the message out, right? So are you prepared this morning? Jesus is coming. Whether you believe it or whether I believe it, he's coming. He said it enough times in the New Testament, 318 times in 260 chapters, 24 out of the 27 books. He's coming. Are we prepared? Let's pray. Father, I just really pray that we might hear what you've had to say. And I was, again, thinking what, what uh, Mark Twain said. It's not the things of the Bible I don't understand that bothers me. It's the things I do understand. However we take that, the Bible says that you're coming again and we need to be prepared. And there appears to be some severe consequences for those who don't. Uh, however, it's pretty hard to miss that. And so you want us to be prepared for the good and the bad. And you want to rescue us to that which is good from that which is bad. Help us to know you and live for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.